Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Well, hello, hello, Kingdom Corner listeners. The great Matt Geib here, finally with you once more, one time again, in the windy, woolery, wet Pacific Northwest on kind of a dark gray and rainy day here. But we're going to get right into the podcast. I've been gone way too long. I've had a number of challenges where I haven't been able to be with you. But we're going to get right into it because we are on the home stretch of what we've been covering for the last 14 or 15 months, the book of Ephesians. We are starting Ephesians chapter 6, the home stretch. Uh, the crescendo of the whole book, especially in the second half, where we begin to talk about the armor of God. Yet today we are going to talk about relationships. Relationships. Two relationships in particular. Parents and children, and bosses and employees. Uh, Now this chapter says masters and slaves, but in our culture, at least in the United States, uh, in this part of the hemisphere, we don't have slaves. So it's bosses and employees is what we're going to talk about because I think what's said there applies to bosses and employees as well. This is our 40th episode on Ephesians. Can you believe that? Like I said, we're on the home stretch. Now, there's three of the most important relationships, the three main relationships that people have in their lives. A husband and a wife, uh, children and parents and bosses and employees, because most of us, one time or another, have a job. Even if you're not married, you do have parents, I would say, uh, for the most part. Um, and then, you know, like we said, marriage. But that's what we went over marriage way back in January. We went over marriage episodes in the podcast. I have it for you here. Episodes 44 to 47. We, we covered marriage quite a bit and how it actually is a type. Uh, it's such a precious relationship. Paul talks about it the most because um, it typifies Jesus as the groom and us as his bride, the church. And it, it's to be a really powerful um, connection and relationship um, that, that is, is an example of the best relationship you could have on earth, okay? And so we went quite a bit over that, and we've jumped all around, like I said. I won't get into that now. Uh, perhaps in the show notes, I'll kind of explain to you how we've gone into and gone over the book of Ephesians in such a convoluted, out-of-order way. Won't get into that now. Today, we want to get into the other two relationships. Now, I want to break this down for you. When you look, go back and look at chapter 5. It was way back in January when we covered that. Uh, the first part of that book, that chapter, I should say, is all about uh, our vertical relationship between us and Abba, us and the Father. Okay, And then in the middle of that chapter, Paul switches over and begins to address the three most important relationships a person can have in life. Okay, the very first one I said was marriage. Episodes 44 through 47 cover that quite well. But now we're getting into the other two relationships here in chapter 6. Well, I want to say one thing to you. Um, The way the Bible is set up, the way the scriptures were set up, there were no chapter breaks. So 
we can flow from chapter 5 right into chapter 6 and be on the same topic, which is relationships, okay? So now, chapter 6, 1 through 9, we're going to cover the other two relationships. We're going to cover parents and children and uh, bosses and employees. That's what we're going to look into. Uh, having said that, I'm going to read the first nine verses. Then after that, we want to go back to the verses and break them down. That's what I like to do one at a time and look at the key words and make some key thoughts there for you, some key points that you can take home with you, that you can take to the bank with you, so to speak. So here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Verse 5, we switch over to bosses and employees, bond servants and masters, the old te- uh, this, you know, in Paul's time. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Verse 9, And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So let's go back now and break this down. Parents and children. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let's take the first word that's really important here, obey. That is a Greek word which means to stand under one's authority. It's like a military word, uh, term that um, a commanding officer would say to his uh, soldiers under him, obey, follow my orders. It means to stand under. This is a strong statement here. It means obey your parents. That is, do what Ma and Pa say. It is a stronger word used here than we saw in chapter 5 where it talked about the wife submitting to her husband or being subject to her husband. We discussed this with wives and husbands, that chapter in chapter 5 back in January. Obedience, in this case here with children and parents, is an unwavering and implicit following. Whereas when we're talking about the husband and wife, submission has to do more with the heart of being willing and subject one to another, being willing to yield yourself one to another out of love. Um, the most important lesson of all uh, for the children is to obey, of course. One cannot obey God and disobey your parents unless they are uh, asking you to do ungodly things. A fundamental law of life, it's not just a custom, okay? I have um, my neighbors that live across the street. I watch their boys be brought up and raised over there. They were from uh, Fiji. Um, they were they really honored their parents, those two young men. Now they're adults. Uh, one is married, one's almost married. And they still honor their parents today. It was just their custom. And a lot we don't follow that custom so much in the United States, but it is anymore, like we should, sadly, with in a lot of families. But it is a, um, you know, even 
my my friend across the street, you know, the people from Fiji, you know, um, they even arrange marriages still. I don't think they arranged, they didn't arrange their son's marriages, but that's part of their culture. And the children don't, do not usually, you know, they usually go along with what the parents say. And a lot of times those relationships turn out pretty good, actually, you know, not all the time, but, um, you know, sadly, we've kind of gone away from that here in America. You know, uh, I think parents should have a big influence on sons and daughters and who they marry, you know, not ordering them necessarily, but, you know, really speaking with them and showing them some things and telling them some things. So obey your parents in the Lord. That's the next one. That's the most important. This is assuming that parents and children are both Christians. That's what makes this a command that is easier to follow. If if one or the others are not Christian, sometimes it's not as easy to follow this if they're not both in the Lord. This is the key phrase as it shows the element in which obedience is meant to occur. Yeah, that's the element, in the Lord. And the foundational motive for the obedience is because we're both wanting to please the Lord's heart. We're both serving Him. So even if there's difficulties, and there will be, between parents and children, especially when they're teenagers, if they both love the Lord, they should be able to come together and work that out. Parents are a part of God's governance. Let's look at Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Honor of parents has to do with attitude. And I remember the story that I once heard about a little kid who had disobeyed his dad, done something wrong. His dad made him stand in the corner, and he stood there for maybe a half hour or so, and after he was done, he said, okay, son, have you learned your lesson? And the son smiled or smirked at him and said, yes, dad, but all the time while I was in the corner, I was imagining myself doing what I wanted and not obeying you. So in a sense, he really did not learn his lesson. He was still pretty self-willed, self-willed. Obedience with a proper heart attitude, uh, or without a proper heart attitude, I should say, like this child here, can lead to problems. Let's go to verse 2 and 3, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, and break that down. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. See, this was one of the Ten Commandments, was it not? It's a quote from Exodus 20:12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's, it's, it's actually a paraphrase or a quote from that, isn't it? This is the only command given of the Ten Commandments with a promise connected to it. The promise for long life should not just be the only motive for obedience, but rather children are, are to obey because God commands it, and they love God. Um, and, and the long life, should God give that to children that are obeying parents, is just a bonus. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Mm, that says it well, does it not? Not always the case. You know, some pretty bad guys live a long time, and some pretty good guys and we don't always understand why. You know, it seems like their lives are cut short. Guys and gals, of course. Let's go to verse number four. We'll break that one down. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, 
but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Wow, that's a powerful verse. Fathers, do not provoke fathers. Mothers could also be included here, yet fathers are mentioned as they represent the first line of authority in the home. You know, they're the first line. They're, they're the head of the house. Provoke, perorgizio, perorgizio in Greek, if I'm saying that right. Perorgizio means to arouse to wrath, exasperate. You know, that's, that's what fathers can do that with their children, especially teenagers at times, and even young children, uh, because they lose their temper. I know that. I was brought up in a, uh, uh, by a father that had that issue a little bit. Perhaps fathers are single out here because they mete out the most punishment. This means don't, uh, of course, don't provoke your children to anger. Uh, don't, you know, stir them up and make them angry by the way you uh, train them and admonish them and discipline them. Because why? It leads to rebellion. Uh, two of the most likely things that contribute to rebellion I have down here in my notes are indulgence or or over-the-top discipline, harshness. Um, this is the opposite of the kind of discipline and instruction God would have us bring. And we must, we must, I must say here, we must look to discipline and instruct our children the way the Father instructs and disciplines us. He's not up there with a hammer wanting to smash us when we do wrong, and yet he does take us aside if we're willing and does deal with us. You know, I know in my case, I think, my dad was way too harsh, you know, I believe, was way over the top. He meant well. And I must say to this day, I'm so thankful because a lot of his over-the-top discipline, he was a Marine's Marine, uh, kept me from a lot of doing a lot of wrong things. I remember one time toward the end of my high school time in high school, I was ready to, I was running away and I called my dad, even though, you know, I, I, he put the fear of God in my heart about doing wrong, even as a teenager, even as an older teenager. And uh, you wouldn't have thought I would call him when I was running away, but I did. And he told me, you know, he just laid it out to me. And he wasn't too harsh then, but he was direct. And I did return home because I respected him. And his, his, the way he presented discipline uh, and training that way was oftentimes way over the top. The, the um, discipline did not fit the crime, you know, so to speak. But in the end, I, I can look back today 50 years later and say it kept me out of a lot of trouble. I'm thankful for that. I remember uh, for a long time, I didn't have, you know, when I was first married five or six years, I, I, he and I were on the outs. I had, I had ought against him. I was upset with him and I didn't want anything to do with him. And my wife says, you can't let that go on. You have to, you have to reconcile with your father. So I lived up here in the Northwest and he lived down in the Carolinas. We flew down there and we had a heart to heart time together. I remember one of the first things I said, Dad, there were times I hated you. And he smiled and he said, and a kind of tear with, was in his eyes, and he said, there are times I hated your grandfather. And so, you know, though I never had one issue with my grandfather, but then right away the lights went on and I knew where that tough discipline came from. You know, we have to, as children, as children, we have to obey our parents, but as adults, we have to change and we have to learn how to meet out discipline the proper way with love, with respect, with understanding, especially as children become older, you know, become teenagers. Lack, uh, you know, in my problem, you know, I kind of went the opposite way. I probably indulged my daughter too much. She was, this is a secret, but she was a little wild. 
She's a good lady now, you know, turned out to be a good adult lady with two children of her own, uh, you know, but I probably indulged her too much, or we did. <clears throat> Lack of proper discipline leads to insecure, miserable, self-centered kids. We must make decisions for our kids for the long term, for a long time. That is true love. Discipline in the correct excuse me, in the correct way creates safe boundaries. It's like guardrails on a road, you know. Discipline is a mark of love. See Hebrews 12, where it talks about God chastises the sons he loves. You know that, those scriptures. However, we must also let kids grow up. Uh, I'll say that. Let them make mistakes. That's how they'll really learn. I'm seeing that with my 16-year-old <clears throat> granddaughter who just started driving. She <clears throat> Excuse me. She has a job. She has um, her own car, and she's learning to grow up. She's a very responsible girl, but you know she still has some things to learn, and we have to let her make mistakes. You know, and that's even for Grandpa. It's hard for me to stay out of it sometimes. Well, let's go on. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. That's the cross reference Colossians three twenty one. Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. That's uh, really parallel to this passage here in Ephesians. Discourage means to irritate. Don't irritate. You know, it means making them irritated uh, by vexing commands, unreasonable blame, and uncertain temper. And when you discourage a child also, the other part of it is they become disheartened, left without spirit, broken in spirit, and dismayed. Um, that's Colossians 3.21. You've got to be very careful you know, just like breaking a horse. You know, I've seen that too. If you're too hard on a horse, you break his spirit, you know. The same with children. You've got to let them make mistakes. You've got to let them learn, and you've got to be patient. And that, believe me, that's not easy. I've had that issue, believe me. Believe me, I, I've been on the side of too much indulgence and also like my dad, sometimes over the top. And then we look at another word here in uh, verse 4. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition. Let's look at that word. Admonition means training by words. Not just with a belt, not just with a threat, but, but this word is training by words, like with encouragement. And also reproof, showing them what they've done wrong, as fits the situation. This is what the Greek word means. This is a warning in the Greek language. An admonition is a training by words with encouragement, with reproof, but it fits the situation, and it's a warning, okay? We have to treat our children that way when we discipline them. This is a counterpart back up to verse 1. Both parents and children must work together. The first requirement, parents must be obeying God to, for this to work out best, and then teach their children the ways of the Lord. A father is to discipline, however, it should be tempered with love. Like I said, this can be tricky. Um, not too over the top, not too indulgent, yet firm as needed. In the end, parents are held responsible for their children. Let's look at a couple examples. You know, I don't have the scriptures down. You can go look these up. They're in the Bible. You can use the concordance to look them up. David, uh, you could read all about David, man after God's own heart, you know, chosen as king, a great commander, great warrior, uh, loved God, played music before God, and yet I think he failed uh, as a father. You know, Absalom 
had him run out of town run time. Absalom, his son, he almost took over the kingdom, or he did for a short period. And then David had some other children. I can't remember their names right now, but um, the one brother had incest with the one sister, and then the other brother came along, and I think he killed that brother. So there was a lot of turmoil with David's children. I, I, I think he had problems in that area. The the priest, Eli, had uh, sons. Eli, Eli had uh, Phineas and Hophnius. Hophni, or I think I'm saying it right. Um, but he was the high priest. They should have went right into the priesthood when he died, and yet they were reprobate, you know. And so God had to raise up Samuel, you know. Um, they were reprobate. They were evil. You know, he was a, might have been a good priest in a lot of ways, but he wasn't a good father, and that led, you know, God wasn't pleased with that. Uh, some people would say, as a parent, don't do as I do, do as I say. My, my own father even said that, but I had to laugh at it because I don't think he had so much a problem with that. He pretty much, you know, when he said the law laid it down, that's the way it was, and he lived it the best way he could, too. You know, he had some faults. You know, he wasn't off doing a lot of bad things and say, do this, don't do like I do. He was a pretty good dad that way. But some parents are that way. Proverbs 22, 6, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Okay? That's where it's got to start, when they're out of the womb, practically. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Wow. Yeah. Parents and children always need to keep communication open. Keep talking. You know, keep, uh, have fun together. Play games together. Uh, take them, the children to the things that they love together, like sports activities or music activities. But keep talking to them. Uh, Josh McDowell would always say this about this kind of relationship, children and parents. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Fathers, mothers, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You know, you have to have a relationship with your child. You have to keep the, the communication lines open. Rebellion, then, if, if they turn, up, uh, turn and they rebel, whether you've caused it, parent, and sometimes children just rebel anyway, unfortunately, Rebellion slams the door to learning, and then we do not learn from our mistakes. Wow, because um, somebody that's rebelling is usually somebody that won't listen to wisdom or won't listen to direction, so the Bible calls them basically a fool, and they make all kinds of mistakes. Somebody that's really wise will listen to counselors, will listen to people, okay? So we've finished up the section there on parents and children. Now we go to the next section. And this is bosses and employees. Let's look at verse number five. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. We could say, employees, be obedient to those who are your bosses according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Masters or bosses according to the flesh is contrasted to God being the true heavenly master or boss. 1 Corinthians 7.22 for cross-reference. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. So we're really, even if we're a slave, a, a, 
employee slave, if you look at it that way, we're really free because we're in the Lord. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. And we're really a love slave to Christ. We, we're no slave to a, a boss. Hopefully a boss wouldn't treat you that way anyway, but, you know, that's not our primary authority in life is a boss. It's Jesus, okay? Fear and trembling, not slavish employee terror, okay? No, you know, boss, you know, there are some bosses that, you know, they invoke that or they bring that out of their employees because they don't, they're like, they're like that, uh, heavy-handed father, the way that they um, treat their employees. And that's not right. And sometimes you have to work in that atmosphere. Um, but uh, not slavish employee terror. We wouldn't want to have that with the employee and the boss. Sometimes we do, unfortunately. But rather fear of displeasing and having an eagerness to please. We should always want to please our boss. We should have an eagerness to do whatever he wants. You know, even if he's a hard person or she's a hard person to work for, um, that's that should be our heart. Singleness of heart or sincerity of heart. That is without double-mindedness. This implies there are those who give lip service or they suck up to the boss, is the way I would say it, yet their hearts are not in the service rendered. They may do what the boss says when he sees them, but when he's not there or not around, you know, they probably do as little as possible. You know, you've seen, you've seen people like that on the job, probably. They do not really have a sincere desire to please the boss, first and foremost. I mean, if your heart is really to serve the boss as serving the Lord, whether he's at the right watching you or not, whether he's there for the day or not, you're doing the best job you can, you know, because you're doing it as unto God. Uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. You know, you know the heart. You're pleased with integrity, right? Um, and with honest intent. That, that, that's a good definition of, a, uh, of an employee that is a Christian that wants to just work as unto the Lord. He's got a good heart, and, and he's honest, right? Ephesians 6, 6 then, not with eye service as men pleasers. And this continues that theme of the guy who, you know, sucks up to the boss, but when the boss isn't there, you know, he's a man pleaser when the boss is there, but when he's not, he's, he's just doing his own things. But as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, or as employees of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Eye service. Let's look at this scripture, Matthew 6, 22 to 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. You know, it, it all starts with your heart, doesn't it? The eye and, and, and of your heart, the eyes of your understanding. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Uh, also, cross-reference, same thing in Luke eleven thirty-four. You know, eye service. How is your eye? How are you seeing today? How is your heart about these things of serving your boss, doing the best you can? Um, are you just a man pleaser? When he's there, you're trying to suck up to him. Let's look at a guy who was kind of like that in the Old Testament. His name was Gehazi. Second Kings five one to eighteen. Second Kings five one to eighteen. You can go read that. But I'll just reiterate the story. I believe this was um, 
Naaman had uh, went to the prophet, the man of God. I think it was Elijah. It was Elijah or Elisha. I should have looked it up. One of those two brothers was a great prophet. And Naaman, the, the, you know, the great warrior uh, uh, of his, um, I think, Syria, I think that was right, or Assyria, had leprosy. And the little servant girl said, well, if you go see the man of God, he, he can heal you. So he went and looked up the man of God, and the man of God told him, go dip in that dirty river over here, the Jordan River, seven times, and God will heal you. Of course, Gehazi, I did not want to do that. You've got to be kidding me. But in the end, he did what the man of God told him, and God healed him. Well, here's the part of the story that's really interesting for us and what we're studying today, you know, because... The man of God healed him, and he was just thrilled. Naaman was all healed. He said, I will give you a reward. I'll give you a financial reward. And the man of God, Elijah, Elisha, said, no. Uh, this is done unto the Lord. Um, his reward for me is enough. Go your way. Um, be blessed. And what would we see later on in that chapter, running, running after the, the great warrior was Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And he says, well, you know what, Naaman, you can give me the reward. And Naaman gave him the reward. And what was the end of Gehazi? He ended up with leprosy. See, a good example, you know, of what we're talking about. That um, he was Gehazi was a uh, he was out for his own. He wasn't really serving God, and by serving Elijah or Elisha the way he should have, uh, he was uh, just looking out for himself. You know, we must seek to please Christ in all our actions daily. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. See, that's what it's all about. We walk before Christ. We walk before God in all that we do. On the job, before our boss, in our homes, as parents. Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? That's what Paul is saying. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Woo, that's powerful. People pleasers, look out. As we have a heart to please or serve our boss and carry out his or her wishes, we do this as unto Christ. That's who we're really working for, unto the Lord. Uh, another term here in this verse is from the heart, literally from the soul. Doing the will of God from the soul. That's what we're doing from our heart. Psalm 111.1, I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. That's what he's talking. David said he would serve the Lord with all his heart before all the people. Romans 13.5, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Paul talking about obeying the authorities that are set over us like the police and things like that. Ephesians 6, 7 then, with good will during, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. He continues the theme here. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Good will, that is having the boss's welfare as your first concern as if it were your own business and doing it as unto the Lord. Um, uh, that not even a boss's severity or you know, if they're not the most pleasant person to work for, can extinguish. See Joseph and Daniel, very good examples. Joseph came to 
second in command in Egypt, Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar. You know, those weren't uh, those were both ungodly nations. Both those men, prophets of God, men of God, teachers of God, rose to power. Um, you know, and they went through some real trials to do that. And yet God raised them up in their humility, and they were looking after um, their boss's welfare, you know. I mean, even Joseph, he was accused of, um, I think, uh, having an affair or adultery with um, his master's wife. And, uh, you know, he went to prison for that. But, but God vindicated him. He didn't, you know, he didn't miss out on his calling. He didn't, you know, go off, off the rails, so to speak, and give up on God. You know, he kept a good heart, even in that situation. It's got to be um, harder than some of us face in the job, you know. And if your job, on your job, if your boss is abusive, then that's not right either. Maybe, maybe I mean, abusive and uh, over the top in a wrong way, um, then maybe he needs, to, somebody needs to um, turn him into his boss. 6.8, Ephesians 6.8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is, I would say, uh, an employee or a boss. You know, here it says slave or free. Good anyone, man, anyone or any man does. Uh, or good anyone or any man has done, shall have done. People will be fully rewarded when Jesus returns at the second coming. Just like, you know, Elisha, Elijah told Naaman, hey, I have my reward with God. We're going to be rewarded in heaven for all that we have done. You know, how our heart's been when we serve, our, what it shows forth, what we've done by serving our bosses in the right way and looking out for their best interests. Bond or free, there will be no distinction here with Jesus. All will be rewarded. That's on the heavenly side um, on the great day of judgment, according to their works, whether good or bad. Here's a good verse, Matthew 10, 41 to 42. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will not lose their reward. Meaning, you know, you have to treat everybody with the right heart, even if they don't always, you know, they aren't always so pleasant. You know, you'll be judged for that one day and you'll receive a reward or not a reward for how you've um, been in those situations. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due to us, good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Uh, Colossians 3.25. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for their wrongs. There will be no favoritism. Let's see what else we have. Let's go on to Ephesians 6, 9. And you masters do the same things to them, or you bosses do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. This is assuming the, the boss is a godly man or, the, or she's a godly woman. The boss must seek to treat his workers with fairness and love, and this must be reciprocated by the workers because God is the supreme boss over all people. Mm. Let's see what we have here. Acts 10.34, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. 
Okay. Uh, God never shows favoritism, Romans 2.11. Since you call on the Father, or on a Father, 1 Peter 1.17, who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. In other words, he's judging everybody's work. Uh, God shows no partiality. Um, I, I believe that does the lesson for today. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 9. We've been on here 36 minutes now, a little over a half hour. And I will finish up just with a few ending thoughts. <clears throat> I want to just bring a few things to your attention. I meant to say this in the beginning, but, you know, <clears throat> John the Beloved said in 1 John 2.29, If you say you love God and have a good relationship with Him, I'm paraphrasing, but you have issues or hate your brother, then the light of God is not in you. Relationships. We talked about the marriage relationship way back in January. Today we've covered bosses and employees and parents and children. Covered all the three most important relationships a person may have in life. And, you know, if you say you love God, but you have issues on, I call it the horizontal, then Brother John would say, hey, I don't think you're in the light. You, have, you, you need to correct some things. You cannot say you love God and go on like I did with my dad without being reconciled to people. And, and I'm not saying that everybody's going to just open their arms to you and, and you're going to be, everything's going to be great. You know, maybe when you go to that, and I've been in these situations too, you go and humbly apologize to somebody that you've wronged or has wronged you, um, they still might not quite accept you, but at least you've done your part. You know, you know your heart is right before God. Um, Proverbs, let's look at some of these things I just jotted down here about relationships. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a friend is born for adversity. Oh, uh, wow. You know, we need friends like that. We need relationships like that. We need people that can come alongside of us and help us through life. Um, because there is adversity at times in all relationships. And you may need somebody to help you through that. Uh, Proverbs 18.34. Um, you know, a friend talks about a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And, of course, we're talking about Jesus. But hopefully some of you have really close relationships like that with, with others. I hope you do. Proverbs 27, 6 through 9. And this is kind of a paraphrase. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. You know, so doth the sweetness of a friend, of, of the um, sweetness of a friend. Faithful also are the wounds of a friend. You know, your friend, if you have a close friend, and we all need friends like that. That, come, that can come to us and bring correction, you know, that can come and say, hey, you were out of line here. Maybe you should have done this differently. You know, that's a wound. We need, we need that. And it talks about being having hearty counsel from a friend in Proverbs 27, 6 through 9. Proverbs 27, 17, here's a good one. Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of a friend. That's what we do, you know. We rub the rough edges off of each other, do we not? Uh, how about this one? <clears throat> I no longer call you servants, Jesus said, but friends. All I learned from my Father I made known to you. So we're the friends of Jesus. We're the friends of Abba, right? We're not just uh, slaves, you know. We want to be his friend. He wants to be our friend, our best friend. And then I'm going to read a story to close this out. 
This is called Relationships and Tennis Matches. Ephesians 4.32, this is a good one. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Relationships are co-created by the people in them. People act and react to each other. If you change your responses, the other person cannot help but change how they respond to you. That's wisdom, right? Imagine that a relationship is like a tennis match. If you hit the ball or draw or if you hit a drop shot, your opponent will charge forward to return it. If you lob it over their head, they will have to retreat. But you protest, my opponent won't even play. They just let the ball go. As long as you are as you still have contact with someone, you can't help influencing each other. In other words, don't give up. It may seem like they don't even communicate with you. People respond in relatively predictable ways to our actions toward them. For example, if you show the other, <clears throat> for example, if you show the other person you are listening and really interested in what they say, boy, this is a big one for me. I missed this one a lot with my family. If you're listening, really interested in what they say, they will talk to you more. If you validate them, they will feel closer and more trusting. If you scold and criticize them, they will create distance and put up a wall. If you get angry and yell at them, they might do what you want. We talked about that with, you know, over-the-top discipline, didn't we, with the dad. They might do what you want, but they will also grow resentful. You know, I resented my dad for four or five years there. And they will seek revenge. If you ignore them, they will find others to be close to. Again, Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be blessed, my friends. The Kingdom Corner Podcast is here once again. We'll come back the next time, and we will begin to discuss the crescendo of Ephesians 6, of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, putting on the whole armor of God. Have a good week. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.